Everyone doing well? Good. Hey, I just got to back up because last week I complained about our snowstorm that turned into a rainstorm. And then this weekend we got a rainstorm that turned into a snowstorm. So we're even. It's good. It's good. My pastor growing up used to say, little boys who lie grew up to be weathermen. (laughs) I think he told the truth. If you're new, if you're a weatherman, I love you. Sorry about that. Uh, If you're new here, we are a church that meets in multiple locations across central New York. And so we here at Green want to welcome our other campuses. They are at Bainbridge and Cincinnati and Front Street Binghamton and online. So Green, can we just take a moment and welcome the other campuses this morning? And if you are a guest here, whether you're here at any campus, we welcome you. We're thankful that you're giving um, our church a try. Maybe you're giving Faith a try or God a try, and we're really glad you're doing that. Um, This winter, we're going through a series called World Religions, and we are each week looking at a different religion. We have so far covered Islam, Buddhism, Hinduism, and Judaism, and I have been most looking forward to today. And I think you'll see why in a few minutes. So this World Religion Series, if you missed any of them, you can go online, you can catch up. Um, But I want you to know that me or whoever's speaking, we're not world religions experts. We're students like you. And so we're trying to take an overview of the faith of of, of what our friends maybe believe and just say, hey, what do they, what's their worldview? What are they thinking? Why do they think that? And then we can understand them better. We can listen to them better. We can befriend them better. And ultimately, our hope is that we can share the hope of Jesus better when we truly know what they believe. Has it been helpful so far? I I hope so. And I hope today is especially helpful. So to to get us going, I'm going to do a little quiz. And I'm going to tell you kind of what this fifth world religion might say. Here are things that people that believe this religion might say, and then you got to tell me what it is. They might say, I am not into religion. You might hear, I want religion kept out of, go- kept out of government and education. You probably will hear something to the effect of, I want separation of church and state you will probably hear something along this line. I prefer to remain religiously neutral. And I think our country should be neutral too. Does anyone know what this is? Eh, Not quite. Good guess. It certainly believes that. But it's something called secularism. I know that's causing some of you to scratch your heads and saying, wait a minute, why are we going to spend a week on a non-religion? in our world religion series? Well, that's a good question. And here's why. When you dig deeper, you realize that secularism is actually a religious worldview that has another name. And that other name is humanism. Okay, so humanism, it's it's maybe more popularly called secular humanism, is very much a global religion. It's a religion that is now pervaded Europe, and has really pervaded America. And it's funny because this religion flies under the banner of a white flag, but it is not neutral. It's not neutral at all. 
And so understanding this religion that masquerades as a non-religion is crucial to understanding the shift happening in America. You know you're living through a shift, right? You sense it, you feel it. If you're a Christian especially, you're like, something's happening. It is a embrace of a new religion that's quite an ancient religion, but it's new on the scene in America. So let's start by defining humanism. Humanism is an ancient philosophy. I don't want you to miss this. It's not new at all. It is an ancient philosophy that elevates humanity and rational thought. It teaches us that humans are capable of being ethical and moral without religion and without a belief in God. And here's kind of, if, if, I, if I could simplify humanism, it is ultimately a belief that man is the final authority. We are the final authority. So, a little bit of history. This movement is ancient, but it was rekindled by a man named Francesco Petrarch. Petrarca. Has anyone heard of this scholar, this Italian scholar and author? He's considered to be one of the fathers of the Renaissance. He was a reader, he loved to study, he loved to study the ancient Greek and Roman thought. And he eventually became known as Petrarch, the father of the modern secular humanist movement. Now what he did is he just reintroduced some ancient Greek and Roman philosophy into the 1300s. And it became a movement that has gained steam over the last 700 years. What's fascinating is he looked back at the time between the loss of Greek and Roman thought in his lifetime, and he called that period the Dark Ages. You ever heard of the Dark Ages? It was Francesco who called them the Dark Ages. And he was enlightened going back to the Greek and Roman philosophy. So this morning as we study this humanism, you can study Francesca. He had some interesting views. He wasn't full out humanist to the effect that some of his followers are today. But this morning, we're going to contrast humanism with Christianity. And one of the reasons why this religion of humanism has been so successful for the past 700 years, but especially the last few decades in America, is because it masquerades as a neutral position. And really, what I want to call it this morning is I want to call it a Trojan horse religion. A Trojan horse religion. Because people who are tired of religious extremism, and that includes me, anybody else? People who are tired of religious extremism love the concept of a neutral worldview. Secularism sounds great. Let's just kind of keep our faith in church. But what people don't realize is that humanism is not a world, it's not a neutral worldview. It's not at all. It has a system of theology and worship and philosophy and, eth- and ethics. It's literally as exclusive as every other world religion and as dogmatic too. And it's why, if you wonder, why am I experiencing more intolerance in a tolerant secular culture It's because this religion is as exclusive as any others, and it doesn't have room for or tolerance for other religions. They are a threat to this religion. 
So here's, here's what I think is hard for us to understand. When we think of secularism, we think of a neutral worldview that just simply doesn't take a position on religion. The challenge with being neutral is that no one is, right? One of the big debates right now is the media and, and news media and journalism. Have you ever met a neutral journalist? They're a liar if they claim to be. Every journalist has a position or opinion about the things they're talking about. Everyone does. It's not possible to not have a position or a preference or an opinion about the things that you're talking about. So in the same way that every honest journalist will admit to being biased or having a position, every honest human has a position. And secular humanism has positions, very dogmatic and strong positions. So today I'm going to share some things that I hope are helpful I'm going to share a chart this morning that comes from David Noble, really excellent um, philosopher who's taken the time to systematize world religions into a chart. So I'm going to share his chart today, contrasting humanism with Christianity, and it comes from his book, The Battle for Truth, and I'll be sharing some info from this book. Fascinating book. I've done some study under David Noble out in Colorado. Phenomenal man. Uh, one of his best-selling books is Mind Siege. So if you're a reader and you want to research today, maybe make a note, Mind Siege or The Battle for Truth, and you can read more. All right, so let's first start with their theology. And what's interesting is a moment ago when I asked you to guess what faith it is, you said their theology. Their theology is indeed atheism. Uh, Peter Angelus, in his book Critique, says this, Without God, what is left? Man and the universe. That should be enough. <laughs> that has to be enough because that is all there is. So in their theology, it's man-centered, so there's no room for God. Paul Kurtz, a very famous humanist who was actually in Buffalo, New York for most of his life, here's what he wrote. Humanism cannot in any fair sense of the word apply to one who still believes in God as the source and creator of the universe. Their, human, their, their Humanist Manifesto 2 says this, As non-theists, we begin with humans, not God, nature, not deity. We can discover no divine purpose or providence for the human species. Did you catch that? We can discover no divine purpose or providence for the human species. Well, there's some hope right there, huh? While there is much that we do not know, humans are responsible for what we are or will become. Listen to this. No deity will save us. We must save ourselves. That is humanist thinking, and it's very popular. Now, I personally am always intrigued by those who identify as atheists for a simple reason. I can't imagine ever identifying myself by something I think doesn't exist. I would never call myself an anti-Santa Clausarian. Why would I give myself a label by something I don't think is real? And so the idea with atheism, specifically for humanists, is they identify as atheists not because they don't believe in God, but they are anti-God. There's a difference. It's not that they don't believe in God, they are opposed to God, and that's crucial to understanding humanism. It's why they cannot stand our national motto. Anyone know what our national motto is? They can't stand that. 
in God we trust, on our coins and you know, our currency and our, our, our court system walls and government buildings. They can't stand it. And when they have their way, our motto will be purged of its theism. And they have already had their way in purging theism from the public schools. And, and, and so, you know, the Judeo-Christian heritage of our nation, they're doing their best to purge it, and so they're making headway in some major institutions, government, <laughs> media, technology, and the school system. And, and I'm not attacking the school system. There's some wonderful people that work in the public school system. Some of you do here, and you're great people. But I think most of the people that I've talked to in the public school system when they're honest about what's going on, would admit that they don't think that we're progressing when it comes to the mental health and education and even ethics of our young people. And it's because we're, we've embarked on a humanist, a secular humanist experiment. And we're finding out exactly the results of that. I was stunned two weeks ago when Eric Adams, the mayor of New York City, the quite liberal mayor of New York City, said this. You might have seen this two weeks ago. He said, when we took prayers out of schools, guns came into schools. And then he said this, don't tell me about no separation of church and state. State is the body, church is the heart. You take the heart out of the body, the body dies. It's a mayor of New York City. So here's the idea, the separation of church and state, while that sounds good, the purpose of that was to keep government out of the church. And it's now being used militantly by humanists to keep faith and religion out of every public place. And that defies the very first amendment to the U.S. Constitution. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof but humanists have militantly purged theism from our schools. So that's their theology. Their philosophy is naturalism, and, and very simply, naturalism is this. Whatever exists can be explained by natural causes. So to a humanist, if I'm going to believe something, it must be observable and measurable. Otherwise, it's not real and it doesn't exist. And they're actually quite dogmatic about their rejection of the supernatural. If you believe in the supernatural, you believe in fairy tales. You believe in myths. So let me ask you something. Who here would say there has been something that's occurred in your life at some time or another that you couldn't explain in natural terms? You can only chalk it up to something supernatural. Anybody? Okay, so are we all just really deluded, small-minded, biased people? Or is it possible that most of us have experienced something that is outside nature and we can only put the label supernatural on it because there's some forces that we can't see but we can absolutely experience and observe. There's something there that humanists can't accept. And here's why they can't, because their view of science is that you can't obtain knowledge about the supernatural. In their view, you can't obtain knowledge about it so it must not exist. While every religion we studied up to this point believes in the afterlife or they believe something about the afterlife, humanists believe in mortality. Quite simply, you die, you're gone. You cease to exist. There's no afterlife. And so for them, mortality and the belief in it is the first step to becoming a humanist. 
And that's why you better just enjoy life, YOLO. You only live once. You better get your bucket list and get everything you want. Squeeze all the joy out of this life because there's nothing to come. And this has pervaded our thinking. Now listen, I just want you to know as we talk about humanism, we talk about humanism this morning, I don't presume that every humanist will fully understand all this stuff. Most don't. In fact, most of us adopt at least some of the tenets of humanism without knowing it's another religion. We just like the neutrality or the supposed neutrality of it. So I'm not saying that every humanist understands all these things. I'm saying this is the cohesive worldview and philosophy of this major religion, and we would be wise to understand it. Okay, so that's the philosophy. Here's what's interesting. You get into the ethics of humanism, and you, you encounter a problem. Houston, we have a problem. And here's the problem for humanism. They, they must reject the moral codes of Christianity, right? Because that's based on supernatural revelation, which they don't believe in. So they reject moral codes from Christianity. The Ten Commandments are way too restrictive. But what you don't realize, what a humanist doesn't realize, is that God's rules, like the Ten Commandments, are actually fences to protect us from self-destructive thoughts and words and behaviors that ruin our lives and ruin our relationships. They're from a loving God, not a taskmaster that's trying to give us do's and don'ts, but a God who's trying to protect us like any good parent would do to their kids. So with their worldview, though, there's no God. So without God, who defines right and wrong? Who defines morality in the humanist worldview? We do. And this is why it's so confusing. This is why it's so confusing because in a world of moral relativism, what's right for you is right for you, and I have no right to say anything differently. So what you might hear a humanist say without even thinking about it is they'll say that everything is relative. Another thing you might hear him say is there are no absolutes. Next time you hear someone say that, here's what I want you to say. When they say there are no absolutes, ask them, are you sure? And they'll say yes. Then ask, are you absolutely sure? And then they're stuck. Because if they say yes, they've just created an absolute. And that's contradictory if there's no absolutes. They have an absolute, and it's that there's no absolutes. So moral relativism is exactly the world we live in. What's right for you? I have no right to say any different. It's all about your happiness and your experience. Their biology will sense... God doesn't exist. I have to have another explanation for how life began. And so I'm going to believe in Darwinian evolution. And it's the idea that life sprang spontaneously from non-life. Now, has that ever been observed? Non-life producing life. It's never been observed. It's never been measured. And it's never even been repeated. So it's really hard to call that science. You have to have a ton of faith to believe that life can come from non-life. Carl Sagan, a famous humanist, said this, evolution is a fact, not a theory. Does that sound kind of dogmatic for a relativist? Now, here's their worldview when it comes to biology. Time plus chance equals everything. So just know that about a humanist. In their worldview, it's time plus chance. Everything's random. Nothing's on purpose. We're only evolving because you give time long enough 
to work with chance, and eventually you get something good out of it. And so humans over time are progressing, 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 and civilization is progressing, progressing, progressing. And you can't help them to think that if life could spring out of non-life, well, that was the jackpot. So eventually there's got to be other jackpots in this time plus chance sequence. And that's their view of biology. Now, this is just another proof that they're very religious because the amount of faith it takes to think that life could spring out of primordial soup is tremendous. In fact, I would argue it takes more faith to believe that than to believe in a really intelligent God who made all things. Okay, that's their biology. Their psychology, this is interesting. Because they reject the supernatural and because they think that humans are on a path towards evolving and self-actualization, becoming their best selves. And and if you study out self-actualization in the humanist worldview, what's interesting is they don't think very many people have ever achieved it. Maybe Abraham Lincoln did. Maybe a few people in history have. But it's something most people don't achieve, but it's a worthy thing to work towards, is becoming your best self. But here's the deal. There's no supernatural, so there's no supernatural cause of good and evil. There's no God, there's no Satan. And so the challenge with their psychology is trying to understand humans when there's so much evil in the world. So their view of humanity is that you were born innocent, your little kid is an angel, and all young parents think that for the first few weeks. And and, and then you realize, my little beautiful little angel has a little demon in them, right? What is going on? And if you don't think that, just give it a year. But what humanists will say is that your kids are a product of their life experience. This is a humanist mindset. Your kids are a product of their life experience. So you you hear this most after a mass shooting. And they'll look at a mass shooter, and what will they blame? Not the evil inside the mass shooter. They will blame the evil gun, the violent video games, the neglect of the parents, and the hurtful culture. They can't blame the perpetrator because the perpetrator was a victim of outside forces. So in the Christian worldview, it's a very opposite type of thinking. God teaches us that evil is not just something that's outside of us, Satan and the world, but evil is something within us. So if you took me on a deserted island, you know what I'm still going to struggle with? Bad thoughts, bad words, and bad actions. Can you believe it? Because evil isn't just something outside of me, it's something in me. And it's why reality doesn't match their belief and why there's such a frustration in humanism to explain constant contradictions in humans who are evil, who sometimes had wonderful upbringings, and they can't explain that. It's because evil's within, but their belief is evil is only without and influencing and corrupting. All right, so their view of sociology, because they think that society is evil and corrupts good people, they even look at religion as part of that corrupting influence. So just know this about humanists. They look very negatively at religion as something that's corrupting innocent people. And you know what they're very intolerant of? Humanists are very intolerant of a traditional biblical family because marriage is restrictive and it's outdated. 
and it's enslaved women for centuries. And we've evolved beyond those old traditions. And alternative lifestyles and alternative relationships are celebrated in their brave new world. We're evolving. Now, what's ironic is we're evolving all the way back to ancient Greek and Rome. These are not new philosophies. These new celebrated lifestyles were the case. Almost every Roman emperor was, was either uh, homosexual or was into transvestitism um, or had children, brides, or grooms. So again, this isn't a new philosophy. Our new brave world morally is just an ancient practice that's come right back into our modern world. So I just want you to know that's where this idea is coming from. And their classroom to preach their faith is increasingly in state-run schools. And here's why. Because the state knows better than old-fashioned parents. Old-fashioned parents are stuck without moded ideas. And humanists want to help society evolve. I'm not saying they have bad motives. I think they have really, a lot of them, really genuine motives. They want to help our society evolve and advance. And so they believe if they can control through government, technology, media, education, they can help us as a society to get past the outdated structures of religion and traditional families. And so... They're, they're doing this under the banner of neutrality. They're using separation of church and state to clear the field. And then they're tutoring our kids from preschool through high school. And then we're shocked when our young people walk away from the faith. And I think if we sit down and listen to them well, we may realize that they've embraced a different worldview. And it's one called humanism. Okay, so their, their view of law is this. Positive law. Again, you can't hold someone responsible for their behavior because they were influenced by an evil outside force. That's their view of law. Humans can't be held responsible. Society is to blame, not them. They also have an expanding view under law of human rights. Because we're evolving, we're adding to the rights we should have as humans. So just in my adult life, I've seen the addition of a few rights, what, what are considered to be rights in America. The right to eat, okay? The biblical worldview says you have a right to work. Humanists would say you have a right to eat. They would say you have a right to health care, that you have a right to love who you want to love. Those are just three of the new rights I've seen in my adult life as a result of this religion of humanism. One of the things that you hear a lot in our country is that religious people shouldn't try to legislate morality. Have you heard this? And yet they do it all the time. And here's why. Every law is moral. It just becomes a matter of whose religious code are you enforcing? Whose religious code are you going to enforce? That's their view of law. Now, politics, this is fun, Oh, their view of politics. Okay, so they believe that, that government is one of mankind's most powerful agents for affecting change. They think the world has a single ecosystem. They think that humans are violating their place by, by breaking our world into national borders or differing state policies. And so they think that a world community is how you get to evolution. 
So mankind is, is evolving to a higher state and an eventual global government will help us achieve our best selves. So humanists believe in disarmament and they believe in an increasingly strong United Nations. And, and their view is this, once more nations are disarmed, they'll, corro- they'll cooperate more and won't enforce their nationalistic boundaries. And here's the irony. Biblical prophecy speaks of a single one-world government led by an anti-God leader, perhaps visualizing for us the eventual fulfillment of the humanist objective. Okay, their economics. This is also interesting because if you follow American politics, if you follow a guy named Bernard Sanders, you know a lot more about their view of economics. They believe in something called socialism. And socialism, not all humanists, but most of them will idea of collective ownership. And again, it's for a good reason. They believe in this noble idea of equity and wellness and the health of all people. And here's, here's what I want to throw out there. If greed, envy, and laziness weren't realities, I think that might work and be a great system. But nations that try to achieve socialism instead of equity and wellness and health, what do you find? You find rampant corruption. You find class warfare and extreme poverty. Why? Because there's greed, envy, and laziness in the world within us. Within us. So when you hear of things like economic equity or guaranteed universal basic income, you are hearing the preachers of humanism, the economic preachers of humanism. If you've studied the pilgrims, you know that what did they experiment with in their economy? Socialism, they gave it a try. And it led to rampant poverty, starvation, and death. And then their governor, William Bradford, finally said enough is enough with this socialism experiment. It's not working. Let's go back to a biblical concept of private ownership. What happened? Incredible production. Such a bountiful harvest the next year that they celebrated a feast that we now call Thanksgiving. And that was the first failed experiment in American history with socialism. So here's what's interesting about their history. This is our final part of the chart. In 1933, how many of you remember that year? Okay, 1933, no one remembers it. Secular humanists, though, were almost giddy about the potential of mankind. There was so much progress. There was so much potential for humanity. They were almost giddy with excitement. And then what happened? World War II. Yeah, it kind of put a damper on this idea of human achievement. In fact, what's interesting is their, human, their humanist manifesto, one, was released in 1933, and it just assumed that technology would continue to be used to help us advance. And then World War II happened, and technology was used to obliterate ourselves, shocking them saying, ooh, can we evolve backwards? Because it feels like that's what just happened. So they collected themselves, and they published Humanist Manifesto II in 1973. And here's what it says. Using technology wisely, they had to add wisely, we can control our environment, poverty, markedly reduce disease, extend our lifespan, significantly modify our behavior, alter the course of human evolution and cultural development, unlock vast new powers, and provide humankind with unparalleled opportunity for an achieving and abundant and meaningful life. 
Sounds like they want the very things God offers. They're trying to get it through human achievement. But again, if non-life can produce life, then eventually our life can produce some phenomenal things if you give it enough time and chance. Eventually, humans will have to become perfect. Eventually, with enough time and chance. So let me boil it all down. Their religious creed is quite simple. One holy God, that would be us, offers a plan for salvation, that would be humanism, secular humanism, that ensures a future paradise, the global community. Richard Dawkins, a famous atheist, biologist, evolutionary biologist, and secular humanist, was asked this. If he got into the afterlife and found out that God was real, what would he say? And Richard Dawkins said he would look at God and say, Sir, why did you take such pains to hide yourself? I challenge you to look in a telescope and see if you think God is trying to hide himself. I challenge you to look under a microscope and see if God is trying to hide himself. What you will find when you observe the world around you using your eyes and your brain is incredible wonder and order. Creations of a mind far more brilliant or intelligent than any human that has ever lived. God's design is too intricate and detailed to be ignored and his fingerprints are on literally everything around you, including the snow. Now, what does God think about a worldview that says he doesn't exist? Well, he tells us in Psalm 14.1, only fools say in their hearts, there is no God. In other words, God doesn't believe in atheists. Some of you will get that tomorrow. Here we go. <laughs> they, they are corrupt and their actions are evil. Not one of them does good. Where's the evil? It's inside. God says, it's not that they don't know me. It's that they don't want to know me. They know I'm here. They know I'm real. Paul wrote this. In a humanist society, in the heart of the Roman Empire, to the Christians in Rome, he said they know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. They didn't even have nuclear microscopes back then. They couldn't see the order and the detail. They didn't know that the, the, the human gene is as designed and ordered as we know today, 2,000 years later. And yet what they knew was enough to know there was a God. And Paul says they know. They know the truth about God because God has made it obvious to them. Well, how has God made it obvious to them? Well, Paul's telling us. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God has made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power, and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. If I'm walking along a beach and I find a watch, I will never look down at that watch and say, wow, look at what waves created with sand over millions of years. I know someone designed it because it has designed I know someone was intelligent who made it because it has intelligence. If it's a smart watch, it has even more smart intelligence. And all around us are things way more intricate or detailed than a smart watch. 
Within you are trillions of cells and strands of DNA that have more detail than computer systems know how to process. That was put there by someone on purpose. So Paul keeps going. He says, yes, they knew God. They knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. This is why we need to have some humility about people who believe in humanism. They're, they're probably confused. Their minds have darkened because they're trying to make sense of life without God. And that's a really hard thing to do. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. Colossians 2.8 says this. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies. And I love this. High-sounding nonsense that comes from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. Don't be captured by empty philosophy. Young people in school, right, just know that you are taught certain things in your school. You are taught certain things about God and about humanity and about history. And maybe the people teaching it to you don't even believe those things, but they're required to based on their curriculum. Just know that those things coming from human thinking And they're not coming from Christ. And we pray for you, young people, and your parents pray for you all the time that you will have the courage to know and believe the truth about God and to see your world correctly, not through this warped lens trying to see it without God. My friends, the clash of religions in our country, the last few weeks we've looked at Islam, Buddhism, Hinduism, and Judaism. That's not the clash, is it? The clash in our country is humanism versus Christianity. That's the clash. Both are dogmatic and exclusive religions. One flies under a banner of neutrality, but it's not neutral. And it doesn't leave room for another faith. So just don't be surprised if your faith or your Jesus or your Bible get kicked to the curb because there's not room for another faith in this worldview. To call humanism, anything other than a religion, is just not being honest. But here's what I want you to know. Although humanists have made tremendous progress in our country, although they've infiltrated technology, media, education, and politics quite well, you need to know that those folks are not our enemies. They're not. And they certainly don't find a lot of hope in what they believe. So here's what I want to do. I want to show you how Satan has robbed humanism of imagination and joy and certainty by simply walking through the Christian worldview. So when you go down through what God offers, here's what humanism offers, here's what God offers. God offers himself, an eternal supernatural being that had no beginning and has no end. Let me tell you about the hope that he gives us. He is intimately involved in the affairs of the world. He didn't just create the world and walk away. He is intimately involved in the affairs of the world, including your life. He also defines right and wrong. In fact, he's given us a library of 66 books filled with absolutes. If you want a copy of this book, take a Bible with you. They're in the chair in front of you. If you're at Regal Campus, they're in that white bag. They're there for you to take. It's our gift to you. 
Humans are not created by accident. We believe that God created every single person on purpose for a purpose, and that includes you. We believe that the mind and the body are God's creative genius, not an accident from primordial soup. We think that God has given us an ideal structure to best order our society in a traditional home that includes a mom and a dad. And while that can't always and doesn't always happen because of the brokenness of our world, that is the ideal structure from a God who loves us and knows best. He also gives us biblical and natural law to order our legal system and to give true justice. You can't get true justice without biblical and natural law. You get shifting standards in a world of relativism and positive law. In politics, he gives us freedom and order rather than globalism. In economics, he gives us stewardship of property, caring for and taking ownership of the things that he's entrusted to us. And in history, this is the beautiful cherry on the, on the cake, he gives us historical resurrection. The idea that this life isn't all there is. The idea that there is a next life. And the reason he can make a promise that there is more to life than mortality and death is because he came to our earth and he kicked Satan in the teeth when he walked out of his own grave. And when he did that, he conquered the undefeated enemy of humanity, which was death. And he offers eternal life to all who will follow him. I'm telling you, I know that we've talked about a lot today, and this stuff is incredibly controversial. I get it. I understand there's people who don't like, didn't like what we've talked about today, and that's okay. I want you to know I'm passionate about this, not because I dislike humanists. I like some of their beliefs a lot. It's because I think it's important that we unmask humanism for what it is. It is a global ancient religion it is now the more common religion in many of our institutions in our country. And I just think that ultimately Christianity offers the hope that humanists are seeking. I think God gives an answer in a world filled with ambiguity. I think God gives order to a world filled with chaos. I think God gives logic to a world filled with confusion, justice to a world filled with corruption, ownership to a world that's stuck in socialism, purpose to a world filled with change, and hope to despair. I think there's an awesome alternative to a self-led, self-guided life, and that is a life led and guided by Jesus Christ. And I think that is why, out of all the religions in the world, Christianity is the largest because it offers the most hope. All other religions are looking for what God has already offered. And we can't find it by going anywhere else. We just can't. So I'd like you to do me a favor and bow your head this morning. In a couple minutes, our music teams at all of our campuses are gonna lead us in a closing song. And this song is titled this, No One Higher. And this was chosen for a reason. It's, it's meant to be an anthem against humanism, right? Because humanism says that you are the highest. There's nothing higher than humanity and mankind in your brain. And this song is the very opposite. It's saying, God, you are higher than me. There is nothing 
higher than you. And I don't know about you, but I found just a relief in my life to submit to the leadership and authority of a power higher, stronger, better than me. It's a beautiful thing that I don't have to be in charge. Because you know what I found out? I'm a terrible leader of my life. And when Jesus takes his rightful place as my leader, and he gets on the throne of my heart, everything changes. See, humans can't get us out of this mess that we've gotten ourselves into. We're not evolving forward, we're evolving, devolving backwards. Only God can get us out of this pit that we've dug for ourselves. And my friends, many of you, you have made Jesus the leader, the Lord of your life. And you are in a very humanistic society, maybe a humanistic workplace, maybe a humanistic school, and you are shining the light of Jesus and giving the hope of God in that darkness. Thank you for doing that. Please don't stop. I know it's exhausting. In a world of moral relativism where man is king, it's exhausting to live in a way where Jesus is king, but it's also a life filled with hope and peace and significance and meaning. And listen, maybe you're here today and you've never experienced that. You've never surrendered to God. You may not even realize that you were a humanist. You were in control, leading yourself. And maybe it's time to let God take his rightful place on the throne of your life. I gotta tell you, he made you. He knows how you're wired. And he's a way better leader than you'll ever be. And when you let him take control, watch what he does. He will forgive you. The evil within you, the things you have done that have been wrong, all of your failures, he will forgive because he's a good God. And he can't wait to be your heavenly father and guide you and one day give you a gift called eternal life. A gift he bought and paid for with his son's own life. Father, thank you that you provide an alternative to the empty religions of our world. God is frustrating as it is to live in a world that's rejecting you more and more. God, help us to shine brighter because the darker the night, the brighter the light. May we take the hope of Jesus Christ into this dark land and may we show especially a younger generation searching for meaning, looking for alternative to time and chance. May we show them that Jesus Christ is king. And he offers what they're seeking. God, may we have humility and kindness and love toward those who disagree. May we give them the kindness and the tolerance that perhaps aren't given back to us. May we love unconditionally, no strings attached, as you love us. And we declare this morning, there is no one higher. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.